Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. In case you didn't notice, there's a little kingdom slash castle decor going on around the church. If you're wondering what that's all about, first of all, it's just fun. There was a reason behind it. Uh, there were 105 kids and about 40 volunteers running around in here uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for what we call Vacation Bible School. And what a great three days we had. We had kids that go to our church coming here. We had kids that go to other churches coming here. We had kids that don't go to any church at all and know little to nothing about Jesus coming through the door. And they heard the gospel message over and over again. Uh, they were encouraged through Ephesians chapter 6 to engage in the battle, put on the full armor of God, be ready to fight for the Lord Jesus. And what timing, because we have just entered into a month where our nation celebrates that which is evil and heinous and sexually perverted, and yet our kids were taught and told this week that they are to be our boys, you are young men of Jesus. Without using the terms, they were hearing about biblical masculinity. Um, our young ladies dressed up as princesses, and they were taught about biblical femininity. With, again, without using those words, but um, Miss Melody Burris, our children's ministry director, did a great job of explaining what it means to be a young man or young woman for God. So we had a fantastic time. I'm going to ask you as a church body, engage in prayer for them. Uh, we've got little, little men and little women that some trusted Jesus for the very first time. Uh, you've got little men and little women that rededicated their life to Jesus. Uh, they want to start living fully for him in their homes, in their schools, on the ball field. So we are excited for them and what God is doing. And my goodness, the work that was put in. Um, by Melody, her team, and those volunteers was incredible. Um, so we are a blessed people here um, at New Covenant. They um, got to hear, again, a lot about the battle between good and evil that is going on in the world that we live in. And I'm going to use that as a segue into our message this morning. We are on Revelation chapter 10. If you got your Bibles and you want to look there, we're going to actually answer a question that I've been asked numerous times. You've probably been asked before, but how is it possible to believe in the God of the Bible and yet have all this evil and suffering at the same time? In fact, in your notes, you're going to see a couple of questions, but is there an answer to the dilemma of evil and suffering? Can an omnipotent and an all-loving God and evil and suffering both exist at the same time? The answer is absolutely. In fact, I'm just going to give you two reasons that might answer the question of an unbeliever, and that is that can evil and suffering exist? And the answer is they actually have to. Evil and suffering and an all-loving, omnipotent, omniscient God existing at the same time have to. Here's why. The only way that it's possible for there to be evil and suffering is if there's an absolute standard for what is good and right. And the only way we have an absolute standard for what is good and right is if we have an absolute standard giver who determines what is good and right. Otherwise, we're all left up to our own vices. You might decide that rape is wrong. Somebody else might decide it's right. 
You might decide that lying is wrong, somebody else might decide it's right. And now you're playing the great says who. Who makes the determination of what is right and what is wrong? There's one and there's one alone. We will talk more about this later at the end of the service, but how do we determine whether or not somebody has the right to life? How do we determine whether or not somebody else gets to decide if you are a man or a woman? Or was there a creator that decided that? How do we decide, and the questions could go on and on, about what is right and what is wrong? Again, ultimately, if we don't have an ultimate standard giver, then we're all left up to our our own vices. And just like in the days of the judges and the kings, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Let's study history and see how that went for people. So again, the only way that there can be evil and suffering is if we've got a standard giver. Here's the other thing. The only reason that we even have for believing in things like truth and justice is if there is somebody that's going to hold everybody accountable to the things that are just or unjust. In other words, if there's nobody that's ever going to hold us accountable, it doesn't matter what you do because everybody's just getting away with it. If ultimately there is nobody that's going to hold them accountable in the very end. Well, as we're about to see in the book of Revelation, there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. He is in control of all things, and he is going to take care of all of evil and suffering in the world. Now, what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together is we kind of answered the question of an unbeliever, but what about for those of us that are believers, especially outside of our neck of the woods on the other side of the world who are being persecuted for their faith? How do we remain rock solid in the face of a culture that is coming more and more against those that follow Jesus. I'm not going to read all the statistics because it would take too long, but a group called Lifeway uh, put out a recent survey, and then there was a secular group that has nothing to do with biblical Christianity that put out a recent survey just to find out where we're at when it comes to church attendance. After 2020, we have hit an all-time low as a country in 200 years for church attendance nationwide. People are either misinformed about the gospel or willfully rejecting the gospel, and maybe a little bit of both. So I got to ask, in the face of a dwindling remnant who is going to get attacked more and more, how do we remain rock solid in our walk with Jesus? Is it possible? The answer is absolutely yes. We sang about it. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. Who do you serve? I'm going to say it probably three different times today. I haven't forgotten. I'm not losing my mind, but I don't want us to forget this. Our theology will always dictate our behavior. How big is your God? Is he bigger, stronger, and higher than any other? If he is, then you will live a life that is free of anxiety. Not not completely, because we're still steeped in these sin-stained bodies. But you will be free of a lot of the anxiety that comes people's way. A lot of the fear, a lot of the insecurity in knowing that my security comes in Christ, the one who by him, for him, and through him all things were made, the one that says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the very one who took on flesh and made his dwelling among us, who died upon a cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and then death couldn't hold him down, but he rose again from the grave. And then on top of all of that, we have the blessed hope that he's coming again. I can't wait. So what I'd like to do before we even dive into Revelation chapter 10 is to remind you that we are in this huge section of Revelation 6 through 19 that really just covers seven years of human history. It's actually human future, and it's the seven-year tribulation. 
In the midst of all of that, beginning in Revelation 6, God begins to pour out his wrath upon the earth through what we call the seven seal judgments. Now, instead of just judgment, 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 and hell on earth all the way through, God stops and he gives us what he calls parentheses, or these breaks in the action. He gives us some hope. And in chapter 7, we got our first break of hope. Remember, we get told about this 144,000 people that God seals, this remnant that he seals on the earth to go share the gospel with a whole lot of people that hadn't been believing in Jesus. Then we jump back into the action in Revelation chapters 8 and 9, where the seven trumpet judgments are unleashed. Actually, the first six. Then there's a break in uh, chapters 10 and 11 before we get to the seventh trumpet judgment, which actually opens up the seven bowl judgments, which were the worst of all. So right now, for the next two weeks, we're in a place of encouragement. God pauses for two chapters and gives us two chapters of encouragement in the midst of all of this judgment that's being poured out upon the earth. So that's where we find ourselves this morning. You're all caught up, completely up to date, ready to go. Your head's not spinning at all at this point, right? Good. So just in case it is and you need to get the blood flowing, would you stand with me? We're going to read Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. He had a scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was, was made bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Thanks, gang. So there's really just two things we're going to break down. There's two kind of units of thought within this passage. The first is in verses 1 through 7, and the second will be in verses 8 through 11. But there's one overarching theme that Jesus gives us through the hand of John, and that is simply this, that God's timing is perfect, and his promises are sure. God's timing is absolutely perfect, and his promises are sure. I think some of us begin to doubt that sometimes. We wonder, God, you've been saying for a long time you're going to come back. Well, let me take you back about 2,000 years. There's a man who came on the scene. His name was Jesus. He was actually God in flesh. For about 1,000 years, it had been prophesied that Jesus was going to come on the scene. And they probably wondered for a long time, God, what are you waiting for? One wicked nation after another would rise up against God's people and would enslave them. They would look for the Messiah who was going to save them. Who is this Messiah that's going to redeem us? And finally, Jesus comes at a time when a people group called the Romans were ruling. And I bet many at the time were wondering, God, what are you waiting for? Remember, God knows all of history from 
human history's beginning to human history's end. There's nothing that's a mystery to him. It's all laid before him because he's the one who's laid it all out. The time that Jesus came on the scene, there was a guy named Alexander the Great who had developed these great roadways so that it made travel possible to just about every part of the habited world. And so you could go to the inhabited world, you could bring the gospel. Well, on top of that, the Romans, being as pompous as they were, basically made everybody speak their language. It was called Koine Greek. What timing for the gospel of Jesus to come into all the inhabited world. Most of the world is speaking one common language because they had to, called Koine Greek, and the roads were paved so the gospel could go everywhere. Do you see God's timing? Even in the midst of that, we may not think about history. Maybe you get bored by history. I'm fascinated by it because, not to sound cheesy or cliche, but remember what history is. It's his story. He's unveiling for us his glory and his majesty and what he's been doing with mankind. So let's unpack. Is God's timing really perfect? Are his promises sure? Does he really keep all of his promises? Well, he's kept all of them up to this point. There's really one that we're waiting for to be fulfilled. And that's the second coming of Jesus. Hey, listen, if he kept 351 of them perfectly just at his first coming, I'm guessing he's going to keep all of them at a second. So let's take a look at this together. The first thing that we see in verses 1 through 7 when it comes down to how do I remain rock solid? How do I deal with the dilemma of all the evil and suffering that comes my way, especially as a follower of Jesus? Because let's be real honest with each other. Isn't it frustrating to see how many evil Wicked people seem to be flourishing and doing well. And then you take a look at believers and you're going, but we're watching believers get imprisoned. We're watching believers get fined. We're watching believers get blasted for their stance, for defending babies inside mama's womb. We're watching believers get blasted for standing for the very way that God designed us to be a man and a woman, raising up godly children that love Jesus. Why, why? that's not fair. And we have to remember something. God's not fair. He's just. I tell you what, if God was fair, I'd be in hell right now. And I know I'm going to step on your toes right now, but so would you. Okay, so we're all on equal playing fields. Got it? Good. We're all in this together. But praise God, he didn't leave us in our sin. He said, I love you so much that while you could never work your way to me because you got nothing to offer me, I'm going to come to you. There is no ladder that we ascend to get to heaven. Jesus came to us instead. So here's how we remain rock solid in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trial. Reflect on daily. Listen, I don't want to just breeze over this. Reflect on daily and trust in God's power and promises. The only way we're going to do that is if we're in his word a lot. Hopefully you know by now that this is not just a book written by man, it is the word of God. When my little feeble, finite brain is trying to comprehend what an, an infinite, almighty God has written, it takes work, and that's not a bad thing. Did you know that work is not a result of the curse and the fall? It's the fact that thorns and thistles rose up and our work became hard, but work is not a bad thing. It's good for us. We remain healthier spiritually, mentally, and physically when we work. So I am going to ask you, work with me this morning. 
We're going to work as we dig into God's word. We're going to break this down verse by verse like we do each week. And then I'm going to ask you tomorrow morning when you wake up, would you get into God's word and work at understanding what it is that he is saying to each of us. Work at understanding what God meant through his original author to his original audience. Don't allow your own thoughts and feelings and emotions to creep into the text. Work at getting those out of the way so that God can say what he originally meant to say. Because I'm going to say this, I'm going to step on your toes some more. It's going to be a lot of toe stepping this morning. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to interpret God's word. The wrong way is what we call eisegesis. Eis means to place into. Um, Gesis means knowledge. So to place knowledge or meaning into the text is always wrong. Exegesis, or ek means to draw out of, means to draw knowledge or to draw meaning out of the text. That is always our goal. So are you ready? Okay, here we go. So how do we reflect on God's trust or or how do we reflect on and trust in God's power and promises? What does that look like in the first seven verses? Well, start with verse one and right off the bat, we're going to begin to see the awesome majesty of God. Here we go. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs were like pillars of fire. Who is this angel? Some commentators have said Jesus. I will tell you based off the Greek text that it can't be Jesus because the word for another mighty angel is the word alas. Alas always means uh, another, but another of the same kind. It is pointing back to the angels that have already spoken in the book of Revelation. So this is another angel of the same kind, but he's giving us a little taste of what Jesus is like because he's Jesus' messenger. In fact, he's wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. This idea of being wrapped in a cloud represents glory throughout Scripture. Anytime we see things like clouds, it oftentimes revolves around glory. So he is giving us a little taste of the glory of God. Then he has got a rainbow over his head. A rainbow in Scripture means a covenant promise. God made a covenant promise. It's disappointing to see what our culture has done with the rainbow. And I would encourage us as believers, take the rainbow back. Let people know what the rainbow actually means. The rainbow actually means God's covenant promise over his people. It is not a right to go out and celebrate the very things that are evil and perverted and directly against what God's word says. Then it goes on to say his face is like the sun. Again, just a small taste of the magnificent glory of God. And then I love how it describes his lower half. His legs are like pillars of fire. This would be alluding to the immovable and unbending holiness of God and the fact that he is going to stamp out all unholiness. Listen, even using those words, you Christians are a bunch of cosmic killjoys. Absolutely not. Psalm 1611, eternal pleasures are at God's right hand. Well, you're just a bunch of prudes who are anti-sex and no fun. Have you read the book Song of Solomon? If you have not, go back and read it. Oh, I try to get my wife to read that book every day. Honey, read this book. Woo! This is great, isn't it? I I just love making some of you turn red. This is great fun. So I'd like for you to turn to Song of Solomon chapter... I'm just kidding. It would be fun to read through that. I will oftentimes have young men that are new believers in Christ that think that now that they become Christians, life is just going to be boring. I have them read, literally, I'll have them do this. I'll have them read through Song of Solomon with me. Afterwards, they're just like, dude, I'm going to read the Bible way more. This is great, so it helps. 
If you would, move with me to verse 2 of Revelation chapter 10 and take a look at the continued description of God's power. It says, he had a little scroll, so speaking of this angel, open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. What in the world is Jesus saying to us through John here? He's not saying that this angel is the greatest twister player that has ever lived. I hate that game, by the way. I lose every time. But in Bible times, a conquering king or a conquering general would place his foot on the land, and then he would raise his hand or his flag in victory. He's signifying his victory, and not only that, but he's signifying possession over what he's standing on. You know what we're being told here in Scripture? Jesus is the victor, and he owns it all. This land belongs to him. Revelation chapter 10, verse 3, he calls out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, and when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Undoubtedly, he is pointing his Jewish hearers back to Psalm chapter 29, Verses 3 and 4, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So in that thundering, what does he cry out? What does he say? Verse 4 says, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. I have no idea what he says. Again, I've heard some very interesting commentary on what they think the angel said, but why speculate? Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do well, or that we may do all the words of this law. There are certain things that God just says, I'm not going to tell you. Some of them are just too great for us to know. Some of them are probably too mind-boggling for us to understand. So we might just have to wait till we get to heaven. That's okay. There is plenty that he has revealed in Scripture. Have you noticed that? Just between you and the Lord, you don't have to answer this out loud, but have you ever read your Bible from cover to cover? Like maybe you took up the challenge to do it in a year or do it in three years. If you haven't, I want to heavily encourage you, go to our website, print down the, print, uh, download and print the Bible reading plan, and you can read through it in a year. If you need to take two years, take two years. But it is extremely beneficial to read the Bible like a novel, like the unfolding novel that it is, and not read it like an encyclopedia where we just look for topics. That's where we get ourselves in trouble when it comes to Bible study. So I'm going to take us back to verses 5 through 7 of Revelation chapter 10. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Again, we read of this total conquest. And he speaks of God's eternality, who he is. He speaks of his character. And then he speaks of God's power or what he has done and what he will do. Again, let me remind us that our theology will always dictate our behavior. How big is the God that you serve? He is in charge of all things in the entire universe, past, present, and future. Well, to round out this section of Revelation 10, it's noteworthy that he fulfilled 
the mystery of God would be fulfilled. It's the same Greek word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is fulfilled or it is finished. To Tetelestai, done, paid in full. God is going to bring to an end all that is evil, all that is wicked, and he's going to usher in the new heaven and the new earth that we're going to get to experience. The gates of heaven are going to be open forever, symbolizing the fact that there is no longer any enemy that can enter into them. We are going to be in a place where we perpetual daylight. There will be no more night. There will be no more mourning or pain or tears or death. I'm excited for that day. That right there is why when we gather together for a memorial service or a funeral for somebody that knows Jesus, it truly is a celebration. It's a graduation time. We went to be with Jesus. I have told people this before. I don't mean it flippantly, and I'm not joking. When I die, it should be a party. Well, for one, you don't have to put up with me anymore. But two, I get to go be in heaven, and I'll see you when you get there. I remind people of this often at funerals and memorial services. Did you know that for believers, for fellow believers, there is no goodbye? It's see you later. I'll see you shortly. We'll be there together. Again, let us not forget, God's timing is perfect. His promises are absolutely sure. Okay, verses 8 through 11. Here's the second way that we are going to remain rock solid in the time of tribulation. We need to be digesting God's word personally. And declaring it publicly. Listen to that again. Digest God's word personally and declare it publicly. The more we get into God's word, the more we come to know him. The more we come to know him, the more solid we will be in our faith. The more solid we are in our faith, the more anxiety and fear will fall away. The more anxiety and fear fall away, the more free we are to go out and bring God the glory that he deserves so that Albuquerque and New Mexico and the United States and the world can hear about the Jesus that we serve. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. This is the third time in scripture that somebody is told to eat a book. The first is in Jeremiah chapter 15, the second is in Ezekiel chapter 2, and the third is here. Why does he say that? Well, let me tell you, it's not about getting more fiber or staying spiritually regular or any of those things. It's a universal analogy that means to take in to take in what that person has taught. Y'all remember in John chapter 6, Jesus said, unless you eat of my body or you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, you have no part with me. Jesus wasn't saying that you're supposed to be a cannibal. He wasn't advocating uh, things like transubstantiation where the the, the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. He was simply using an analogy to say, you must take me into yourself, that what I do, you do. What I think, you think. In fact, have any of y'all heard the term, you are what you eat? Think about that for a moment. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally speaking, you are what you eat. You are what you ingest and digest, which is why scripture speaks so clearly to the desperate need that we have to guard our, our heart and our mind. Guard your heart, guard your mind, because what enters into it will radically affect the things that you say, the things that you do, the way that you act. 
Now, John obeys, and he eats the book, and it's in his mouth sweet as honey. You ever pick up the Bible and went, that's just sweet? What Jesus was willing to do on my behalf by dying on a cross, by rising again, the fact that he's coming again, that's sweet. But then you also realize that those that reject that Jesus will spend an eternity separated from him. And you get that sour feeling in your stomach. Undoubtedly, that's exactly what's being told to John. That, listen, God is going to fulfill all of his promises. They're sure. That's sweet. However, look at verse 11. Then I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What role did the apostles and the prophets have? It was to bring a message that most of the time the listening world didn't want to hear, that the watching world didn't want to see. And so do you know what they did to the apostles and prophets? They killed them. Just about all of them. There are very few of the apostles or prophets that weren't killed at the hands of man because of the message that they had brought. Which brings us to a question for ourselves. What are we as followers of Jesus willing to endure when it comes to standing for Jesus Christ in his word? What are we willing to endure when it comes to standing for the gospel? Again, maybe just between you and the Lord, but would you be willing to lose money for Jesus? Would you be willing to lose houses or cars for Jesus? Would you be willing to lose your life? Okay, that's kind of a loaded question because you didn't really lose it. Remember what Jesus said. You actually gained it. Because the things that I'm going to get in heaven are going to far outweigh anything here. Well, John gets commissioned to go and proclaim God's word. When you leave here today, you're going to be commissioned to go out and proclaim God's word. I'm hoping and I'm praying that from this week and next week, you're going to feel greatly encouraged. I'm praying that you're going to reflect on and you're going to trust in God's power and promises, just like we mentioned this morning. I'm praying you're going to leave here and tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're going to begin immediately ingesting and digesting God's word. And that you're going to fall so in love with who God is and what he says to you through his word that you can't help but proclaim it publicly to the people you meet. Now, let me stop there for just a sec. Some of y'all are going, wait a minute, I'm an introvert. Like, I'm just not good at talking to people. And, and I don't have the gift of evangelism. There are numerous different ways that we can go out and share the message. We just can't change the message. If you're introverted, find another introvert and introduce them to your best friend. Listen, when I know somebody that I love that loves Jesus and I want them to meet somebody else, I walk them up to that person and I tell them, man, I would love for you to meet so-and-so. Man, he's just got a heart for the Lord. He treats his wife so well. He loves his sons. He loves his daughters. Imagine if we just walked up to people and said, man, I would love to tell you about my best friend. He loves me. He loves you. In fact, he loves us so much that he died for us. And he's so powerful that death couldn't keep him down and he rose again. His name's Jesus. Notice that there's nothing in your face about that. And yet you just presented the only way, the only truth, and the only life to somebody that desperately needs Jesus. I hope you're encouraged. I'm going to pray for us when I'm done. Don't leave. Because I'd like for you to take a look at something that's going to, um, it's, it's in your bulletin. It's something that's happening out in our foyer. It is a way for believers in Jesus to actually put their feet to the fire and their name to something and say, I stand with the Lord, I stand with the gospel, I stand with his word. I'll talk about that in a minute. Let me pray for us. 
Jesus, we come before you and we praise you again for who you are. And Lord, we, um, in just getting a small taste of your power here in Revelation 10, um, are just in awe of who you are. We are so thankful that the battle that is being waged isn't one that is fought by us, but Lord, it's one that's already been won by you. We're just waiting to see that come to fruition. But Lord, in the waiting, would you remind us to be engaged in that battle, to be used by you, Lord, to see you glorified and lifted up. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you for the privilege that we have to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ 52 times a year to bring you the honor, the praise, and the glory that you deserve. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. If you would, in your bulletins, there's a little insert in there. I want to speak to you about a couple of things. Um, while you're pulling out that insert that's in your bulletin, um, there are six of us um, that are called elders in the church. Uh, it's interesting in the New Testament, there's nothing about a senior pastor in the scriptures. Um, and yet in the Western church, it seems like we've sometimes put the senior pastor up here like as a CEO over an organization, and it's never meant to be that way. Really, a better term for myself would be your teaching elder. So I'm just one of the elders, and I get the privilege of, of getting to teach um, and leading God's word. But together, the six of us um, want you all to know that more than anything else, we want Jesus to be glorified and lifted up. We love him. We love this church. Uh, we love you that are sitting in it. And you might at times not like decisions that leadership makes, but we pray through them and we pray through them hard. And we always bathe them in prayer. And so in doing that, we have been aware of some things in our own state that are directly against biblical principle. This has nothing to do with politics. I need to make this as clear as, I, as can be because I already know we're going to have some folks that are going to say, I'm not going to stay at a place that's political or uses the pulpit for political purposes. We need to understand that at the outset of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God formed and fashioned man in his image. In Psalm 139, he knit us together in our mama's womb. He decided at the moment of conception when the sperm fertilizes the egg and all 23 chromosomes are present, whether or not that sperm and that egg come together as a little boy or a little girl. God decides those things, not us. We are simply messengers of his word, but anybody that pushes against that and then tries to make that mandated or by law is something that we have to make our people aware of or we are doing a bad job as your shepherds. So we do this for the glory of Christ. We do this for the good of the church. We do this for the good of our children. I want to real quick, before I even read this to you, speak to you from a daddy perspective. Anybody that looks at me and says, we will decide what we do with your girls and what they will become and what they will think, and you don't have say over that, is going to have to do it over my dead body. So if you would take... This letter, real quick, I'm going to simply read it to you. I'm going to let you know where we're at as a church body. I'm going to let you know why there is a group in our foyer that we are able to team up with to move God's kingdom forward, to fight against the forces of evil. Uh, I'll explain all of that in just a moment. So let me take you to this. New Covenant family, the word of God tells us, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's from Jeremiah 29, 7. 
Most of us know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We put it in our coffee cups, we put it in our homes. I'm not making fun of you if you do, but we need to understand the context because it's like one of the most misquoted Bible verses ever. The Israelites have just gone into 70 years of captivity and God says, don't worry, I haven't forgotten you. But in the meantime, go back to verse 7, you're going to be there for 70 years in exile. While you're there, pray to the Lord on its behalf. Let's pray for Albuquerque. Because in it, in its welfare, you're going to find your welfare. Which means if our state is going down on a blazing inferno of evil, we're in the midst of all of that. And our kids are being raised in it. The question is, who is going to speak into the evil that's happening? If we just get afraid, well, wait a minute, it's been politicized, so you can't talk about it from the pulpit anymore. It's not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that if I have to throw out everything that's now been considered political, I don't have much left to preach. So we're not going to be afraid of things being political. We're going to remember that this is biblical. So in order to do that, I'll finish this, I promise. In order to do that, we must be bold for Christ by speaking for the truth and against the evils that come our way. This is for the welfare of both the unbelieving community and the church as well, since both include our children and future generations. Scripture says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This means that if we as believers in Jesus Christ do not boldly proclaim the gospel in the midst of rampant evil things, in the midst of rampant evil, things will go from bad to worse. This also means that what I'm about to share with you is a biblical issue. It's not a political one. It means that whenever government or legislature institutes something that's directly against the word of God and is inherently evil, we must absolutely make the truth known or else we're saying to a watching world that the truth of God's word doesn't matter to us. Again, this is about the gospel being proclaimed, our children being protected, and our community being bathed in prayer, not about politics. Now that said, I'm going to share with you a couple of the laws that have been passed that you may not even know about that are absolutely appalling for those that love Jesus and know his word. The first one is HB7, the Reproductive and Gender Affirming Healthcare Freedom Act. It is anything but what it sounds like. Satan always does a good job of or disguising falsehood with just a little bit of what sounds good or true. This law creates unrestricted access to abortion and transgender procedures to minors without any parental consent, which means you have no say in it as a parent, grandparent, guardian. SB 13, the Reproductive Health Provider Protections. This law protects those seeking HB 7 services or aiding in obtaining services for a minor without parental consent. That means that if somebody decided they wanted to take my daughter and train her up in what it means to now become a boy because that's just the way she feels and then they took her to do it, there's no repercussion whatsoever. That is a scary world to be living in. SB 397, school-based health centers. This law gives students direct access to HB 7 and SB 13 protected activities without parental consent. As a pastor, 
as a husband, as a dad, ladies and gentlemen, as moms, as dads, as husbands, as wives, and just as followers of Jesus, if we don't protect and defend impressionable hearts and minds, then our children are headed for certain destruction. Dr. Erwin Lutzer wrote a great book called When a Nation Forgets God. In it, he chronicles exactly how Nazi Germany got to where they were at. Did you know that the, the nation of Germany was probably more heavily Christianized than we are here in the United States? But what the church kept doing was taking their hands off of everything and saying, we can't speak into this because it has to do with politics. We can't speak into this because we're going to rock the boat. We can't speak into this because it makes it look like we're unloving. And we all know the rest of the story, don't we? Look at the repercussions. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to bring an end to all the evil in the world, but man, I would sure love to be able to have Jesus come back today and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I am glad that I found you fighting the good fight. Now, last, uh, last two things. Last two things from Scripture. Tell me this doesn't sound like today. You, O oh Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men, Psalm 12, 7 to 8. We're also told this, and you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them, Ezekiel 16, verses 20 and 21. What a great reminder we have from Scripture that our children don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord, and the question is, how are we doing at protecting that which rightfully belongs to the owner and the creator? Now listen, this is where it gets tricky. It's, it's easy to bash the things that we don't like or speak out about the things that we don't like, but it's another thing to actually do something about it. And I get it that when we start to do something about it, immediately people might look at us and go, well, I don't want anything to do with that political stuff. Great, don't have everything to do with what God's word says, what scriptures say. The next question is, how do we become an active part of being the hands and feet of Jesus and fighting against some of this? Well, one of the things we can do is fight to overturn evil and heinous laws. And the only way we can do that is by signing our name to something. Just saying it doesn't mean anything. Imagine men looking at a, a man looking at a woman and going, you know what, I'm all for living with you. I'm all for getting what I can out of you but actually signing my name to a piece of paper and giving you some commitment, that's archaic. I'm not doing it. I'm thinking that most of you ladies in your right mind would be like, later, if you didn't, your pastor is all for carrying the rod. I don't mind telling him, get away from her. Now, that being said, we have an opportunity to just hear stuff and maybe be frustrated by it and maybe get a little rah-rah about it or we can actually put ourselves in a little bit of a tricky situation and go, you know what, I'm going to actually sign my name to that. I'm going to be a part of dealing with some of this evil that's running rampant in the world today. Gang, this is a great opportunity to show the world that we love Jesus and we stand for him. This is not just about what we're against. I'm for babies. I'm all for babies. I'm for a man and a woman making babies. I am all for young ladies becoming beautiful little princesses that God created them to be. These little ladies that are going to honor and glorify Jesus as mommies, as wives, as beautiful little girls. 
I am super excited about young men raising up and becoming knights for Jesus, little warriors for Jesus, young men that will hold the door for young ladies, that will treat ladies like they're supposed to, that will lay down their lives for their wives like Christ laid down his life for the church. I am excited about those things. That is what we are for. And when anything comes against what God's word is for, his people are the last line of defense. I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to pray for us. And then when I'm done, I'm going to encourage you, go give Albuquerque Jesus. In fact, could we stand together? And as we stand together, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will be sent out to go bring Albuquerque Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, again, we come before you, and we just praise you for who you are. We are so thankful, Lord, that when you didn't have to, you made us. Lord, you formed and you fashioned us together in our mother's wombs. That, Lord, you decided before the foundation of the world who we were going to be, that you created young men and you created young women in your image, sent out to bring you glory and honor. And Lord, I pray that we would do just that. Lord, would we be bold followers of Jesus that engage in the battle regardless of cost, knowing that the rewards far away outweigh anything that we might have to give up. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you for who you are. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. Gang, it was a nice light morning, so go take a nap. We'll see you next week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.